0: If Good Friday doesn't begin in darkness, then we have not understood what transpired on this day. We must ponder the cross, but first we must ponder what made the cross necessary. The answer to that is simple. Your disobedience, your sin, my disobedience, my, my sin. The Bible uses two metaphors to try to describe for us the exceedingly sinfulness of sin. It uses death. It uses darkness. The sinner, the scriptures say, walks in darkness. It is, we are blind men and women stumbling about Unable to find the right way, even if we wanted to. Unable to find our way, but lost. Stumbling and falling into dirt and into muck and making ourselves bleed and lost, hopeless. There is no hope unless a miracle heals our eyes. The Bible describes the sinner as dead. Why does it do this? What does it convey? What do the dead experience? What do the dead know? The dead are numb, the dead are alone, the dead are swallowed in, in nothing. There is, there is nothing there at all. And then we know that the dead decay. And they decay to such an extent that they they stink and they bloat and they rot. And we dig deep holes and we put them down and put tons of dirt on top of them because we can't stand to be in the presence of that death. Death and darkness. Go ahead, Glory. turn the lights back on. We don't want anyone falling asleep. The world and our culture, very much so, has forgotten the depth of this truth. But I fear that the church has also forgotten this as well, that we don't take sin as seriously as perhaps the scriptures encourage us to, that we don't, we find excuses, we find ways out, we see in the scriptures this description that the wages of sin, the only outcome, the only possible conclusion that can happen to a life that is buried in sin is this, the wages of sin is what? Death. 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 And what would we do to escape death? How much money would you pay? How many pills would you take? How many doctors would you visit? How far would you travel? We would say we'd take all the pills. I'd visit all the doctors. I'd travel as far as possible. I'd spend every last dime to save my life. And yet the scriptures say that death is nothing compared to the weight of sin. But we aren't just talking about this short time I have here and now. We're talking all eternity. The wages of sin aren't just death, but it's judgment before God. It's separation from God. It is hell. It's hell. And the question that should follow this, this revelation of how terrible and terrifying sin is is the question, do you have it? The answer to that is equally simple. Paul says in Romans 3, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks God. No one understands. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses, walking according to the ways of this world, following after the prince of the power of the air, following in Satan's wake. We we travel with the sons of disobedience. That is who we are. We are dwellers in. In darkness, we are dead in our sins. We are the guilty awaiting our just appointment with a just judge whose judgment could only be guilty. Guilty. And yet, we have this good news. Light came into the world, we read in John 3. Light came into the world. And what did we do when we beheld light? The scriptures say, Men loved darkness because their deeds were evil. Like people who had dwelt so long in darkness, and I know those of you who have uh, children and teenagers understand this, right? You flip the light on in the morning and it's like,
1: oh,
0: right? Anything to escape the light, Anything to escape the light. Like people who had dwelled in darkness so long, the only thing we could think of was to snuff it out. And is that not the story of the cross? Isn't it the story of the cross that they saw Jesus and he shone like the sun and the only thing we could think to do, crucify him. Crucify him. And yet the prophets tell us that more happens on that tree than just the will of man Just the demonstration of how far we will go to get rid of God's holiness. What do we see on that tree? Isaiah says, The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That it was God's will to crush him. That his soul, that his soul, that his life might be an offering for our guilt by, our wo- by his wounds, what? We are healed. We are healed. Theologically, we can say that Jesus died then as a ransom for our sins. The innocent died for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous. The perfect lamb of God was slain. Christ, our Passover lamb, was slain. And so what do we see when we survey that wondrous cross upon which the prince of glory died, we see the blackness of our sin, we see the lostness of our estate, we see the guilt, we see the shame, we see the black of our sin, we see the judgment and wrath of God, we see it displayed, but all of it falling upon Jesus, not upon you, not upon me. Which leads us to an unsurprised estate when we read in the book of Acts, especially in chapter two, where Peter declares this to people who just 50 days earlier had participated, if not just seen the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He tells them this good news and they say, brothers, what should we do? And I wanna stop there for just a second and ask, when was the last time you surveyed the cross? You looked at all that God has done for you and you just stopped in awe and said, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? What is God calling me to do with this? Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I willingly sacrifice it. I lay it down. He lays it down as a sacrifice for sin that he might set us free. Those of us who have been captive to sin, to the devil, and to death, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I know that this isn't a new word for you today. You came here thinking, I'm gonna hear something new. Uh, We've got three preachers in the room, a couple of other ministers. A lot of you have been in church your whole life. I have no new story for you today. No new word for you today. For there is only one story that will change the black life. Only one story that will raise the dead and let the blind see. Only one story that can transform and heal the broken. Only one story. Jesus upon the cross. Jesus in the tomb. Jesus up from the grave he arose. And I beg you, church, do not let this weekend go by without recognizing again its power, its glory, its majesty. For there is nothing like it. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Let it change you, transform you, take it with you. Don't let it be just an old, old story. Let it be the, the old, old story. The one that saved you, the one that transformed you. To see the black and red cross, to see death and darkness after the cross is over, after Jesus has given up the ghost, after he has come free from the tomb, what do we see? A new metaphor. New story emerges. Instead of darkness, we read in Colossians chapter two that he has transferred us, he has moved us for we were in the kingdom of darkness and now he has brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son, the light of the world. No more darkness. We dwell in light. We see him again in Romans chapter 5 telling us the apostle telling us that that sin and death reigned over us but now now what is there there is grace reigning over us and eternal life through Christ Jesus our lord we have been moved from death to life life we're not just talking about life like right here and now and you know you can have your best life now. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about transformed life. We're talking about new life. We're talking about an experience that you've never experienced before. I love the way that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 describes it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, see, look, the new creation has come. I love that. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, I have eyes that don't work. And they've been healed and now I can see. It's one thing to say, my body was dead. I was, I was in death. I was no heartbeat. I had a heart of stone and God has now put inside my chest a heart of flesh so that I can beat and feel and move and live. That's one thing. But it is quite another thing to say, we are new creation. It's different. That means that what I was before, I am no longer. I was water, and now I'm wine. I have been transformed into something completely unexpected, completely new, completely different. You know, I see a lot of Christians who Who say things like, well, yeah, I know Jesus forgave my sins. and I'm still struggling with this. I still have this bad habit. I still have this old way of life. We see ourselves sort of sliding back into these things all the time. And what I want to remind you of, church, I want to remind you that that is a lie. Those aren't old habits that cling to you. You are a new creation. You are completely transformed. All you need to do is recognize what God has done with you. He's put his Holy Spirit in you. Don't tell me you can't be holy. You have the spirit of the living God. You have the divine nature. These are just, I'm just quoting scripture, right? That's all that it says. You have been remade in the image of his son. New creation. It's incredible. It means you have a new nature, a new being. It means you see the world in a different way. We used to see walls, we used to see division, we used to see black and white and rich and poor and male and female and young and old. We used to divide the world up into this nation and that nation. We had all of these walls between us, but in Jesus Christ, what? They've been shattered, broken, undone. And in Jesus, God is calling all the world to himself saying all those old things, all those old enmities, all those old allegiances, all those old things that divided you from you are dead and gone. In Jesus Christ, you're one, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one God and Father over all. It's incredible to see this um, choir uh, Quite a different group of people, of young and old, and we look across this room. Three churches brought together, as 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 Jason said, different walks of life, different people. We don't even know each other very well. I see, I only know like a third of you, (laughs) but we're family, aren't we? All that other stuff, all those things that we might call ourselves, all those things that cling and lay claim to our lives—none of them matter in the light of Jesus Christ. No meaning whatsoever. When I see you, I see a child of God. I see my brother. I see my sister. I see the one that I am called to lay down my life for. We behold the world with new eyes. Why? Because we are new creations. And that means that there is now a new purpose, a new new way of living. I used to live for myself. I used to live for my hobbies. I used to live for my pleasures. I used to live for my family. I used to live for my work. I used to live for all of these other things, but being a new creation gives me a new purpose, a new direction, a new meaning to life. And what is it now? Love God. With all my heart and soul and strength and mind, love my neighbor as myself. Two commandments comprise the purpose that drives my life. Why? Because I was dead. I was in darkness. I was nothing. I had no hope. I was only meant for condemnation and refuse, is all that I had. And yet now I have been moved from all of that and given new life, new sight, new purpose because I'm new, because you're new. Because the message of the cross is that everything, everyone, everyone can be made new. Isn't that good news? Isn't that the message the world hungers for? Isn't that the message for the broken, for the weak? For the poor, isn't that a message for those of us who put on our our Sunday best and yet inside we're dying, inside we're depressed, inside we're struggling. And all of those things, those are things that belong to darkness, those are things that belong to death, those are things that belong to sin. But in Jesus we say, there's life, there's light, there's new creation." What we collectively want you to walk away with today is that message. We want it to inflame you. We want it to bring you to passion. We want it to to drive you. We want it to be the thing that drives you to worship all weekend long, to share it with your neighbors, your friends, your enemies. Go crazy, right? This great good news, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Turn it over to Todd.
1: As we transition into our communion time, uh, we all agreed it would be appropriate to take a new creation moment uh, from the Gospels. Because it's not just us. It's not just us. We have a rich history of failure uh, in our among our ancestors. The disciples struggled and failed just as we struggle and fail. And here we see a beautiful moment played out. You know, we recognize that meditating on communion, meditating on the cross, this moment that we're about to celebrate, it requires us to come face to face with the reality that we put them there. Just as Jordan pointed out, this is our fault. That's why the Communion tradition has developed around self-reflection, confession, coming face-to-face with what Jesus did, remembering his broken body. It's the most convicting thing we do. And here we see a moment of failure. John 18, verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate, So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing around it warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. And in this moment we see that Peter is no different from the slaves and the soldiers who are gathered around the charcoal fire. There they stand. Jesus means nothing to him, to them. His life and mission, his character, his revelation, all just flies right past. Peter hits rock bottom, standing around a charcoal fire with people who don't know him from Adam. As he claims to not know Jesus from Adam. And many times, I think communion is like that. It's this place that we go to confess the ways in which we have failed Jesus, to confess the ways in which we have fallen short of his glorious expectation. We've fallen short of this new creation ideal. We're standing around this fire that is our life during the week or whenever. We commit these grievous sins. They grieve us in the moment. They grieve us after. They grieve us most when we partake of communion and have to confess them. Communion is an interesting time. We're almost encouraged to to relive those moments, to imagine how we could have done it differently, to see where we went wrong. And then we confess that painful and difficult spiritual discipline. We confess that we made a mistake. We confess that we nailed him to the cross again. We confess that this is ongoing because I continue to fail. Peter has a moment like this where he is forced to relive this sin. Later in John, chapter 21, verse 9, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And we skip down to verse 15 as John gives the details of the breakfast that they were having with Jesus, uh, the risen Lord. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter denied Jesus around a charcoal fire. Peter denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus sits with Peter around a charcoal fire, and he asks for a confession three times. You can imagine the smell. You can imagine the heat. You can imagine all of the tactile sensation associated with a charcoal fire as Peter is sitting here being keenly reminded of his most grievous failure, of that moment when he completely let Jesus down. He has to relive it. Or does he have to relive it because Jesus wants to remind him how terrible he is? Because Jesus is anxious to get the leg up? No, very soon we see he relives it so that Jesus can say, it's this that I forgive you for. It's this. It's your darkest moment. It's the worst thing. It's your most unconfessed, grossest, most terrible darkness that you've hidden from everyone but me. It's that for which I'm capable of forgiving you. Not only capable, but willing. And here, Jesus brings him into this intimate charcoal fire moment to show him what the cross accomplished, to show him what it did. And now communion is our intimate charcoal fire with Jesus. We sit down with the familiar aroma of the grape juice, the familiar tactile sensation of the broken bread. And we're called to a confession a time of confession, a time of honesty, a time of vulnerability with the understanding and the recognition that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was enough. And we do this out of obedience, but we do this out of encouragement as well. Jesus asked for his followers to celebrate communion and to remember him, but it's also a moment for us to remember that's not the end of our story. Darkness is not our only option. We really can dwell in the light as a new creation. Let's pray over our communion. God, we're in awe that this is true. It seems too good to be true. Well, God, everything about you seems too good to be true, and yet you keep showing up. You keep revealing your character to us. You keep revealing your nature. You showed up in all of our lives. You've shown yourself, and you'll continue to show yourself. We're just amazed. We're in awe. The cross is too big for us to comprehend, but God, we're doing our best to confess, to meditate with you, to sit around this charcoal fire and be able to recognize that you have made new life possible for us. Just ask that we could embrace that reality going forward into Easter, that we could celebrate the truth. And that is that we are a new creation and the old is gone. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.